Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our October product event, where you'll hear from Rebecca Higgins. Rebecca is currently Director of Product Management at NAV. When it comes to packaging and pricing, emotions can be high and opinions varied. How can you provide an educated and research-based path to making the right decisions for your business? Come hear about Rebecca's experience updating packages at NAV and learn a pricing methodology you can implement yourself. And without further ado, let's hear Rebecca's talk, Packaging Revamp, a case study. Pricing can be complicated. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, so just be prepared for that part of this discussion. No one's typically hired to be the pricing expert at your business, so there's generally a lack of expertise. Pricing also lives at the intersection of so many aspects of your business, so there's many people, many opinions, and lots of strong feelings, but not much data that's being used to drive decision-making. So I'm here to help you navigate this situation. Uh, I'm looking to provide you with a data-driven approach you can use to make those pricing changes for your business. Now, spoiler alert, this ends well for NAV, so be prepared for that. However, this was hard one work. It took more than a year and it had fits and spurts, starts and stops all along the way. So let's get to it. If this is so hard, why should you even consider thinking about your pricing strategy? And the answer is that it's a revenue generating project. It's going to increase your bottom line. So this is a quote from ProfitWell, and I'm just going to read it. Pricing changes are four times more effective at, uh, than improving customer acquisition and two times more effective than improving retention at increasing your revenue. So why should you do this? Out of the three things you can think about doing, acquisition, pricing, and retention, pricing is the most impactful one. I think if everyone could mute, I would really appreciate that. I'm hearing a little grumbling. So that quote was from ProfitWell, and I just want to make a shout out to them as an ultimate place of learning for pricing strategy. So you can check out their site, their blog, their emails, and they even have in-person training. So if ultimately today I don't succeed in making you feel empowered to address this on your own, you can always go hire them. All right, let's get some shared vocabulary. Let's name it to tame it. Pricing strategy has three Ps. Now, actually, before we even talk about that, I want to note here that this, this talk is all about SaaS pricing strategy. So if you're not working in SaaS, you could have a completely different methodology for how you're going to address your packaging. So keep that context, please. But pricing strategy uh, for SaaS includes the three Ps. It's packaging. This is the mix of features that you're offering to your customers. The pricing. That is the value that people are willing to pay you for that work. And then the positioning. This is how you're presenting that work to attract the right customers. Now, the three Ps appear on many pricing pages. Here's just an example that I'm sure you're all familiar with what a pricing page looks like. 
So this talk is really a case study of how we revamped or addressed our packaging situation at NAV. So a little bit about NAV, Hunter gave us a great introduction, but NAV is a SaaS product for small and medium-sized business financing. So think lending, credit cards, and our mission is to empower small business owners to make better financing decisions. So what we do is we use customer data to provide guidance and we try and have transparency in how that customer data is impacting the guidance that we do provide them. Now NAV monetizes in multiple ways. So paid plans is not the only monetization strategy that we have. We do with our paid plans have what's called a freemium model. So we have a free plan no money, no price. And it's an acquisition strategy for us to obtain customers and upsell them to our other paid plans or to monetize off of our financing opportunities. So uh, last thing I wanna say is that our paid plans are really a function for our customers to support them along their financing journey. So they're working hand in hand with our, monet our other monetization strategy. So, I joined NAV back in 2018, and I was asked to think about how we could address our current pricing strategy. This was the first piece of information that I was given access to, and that is that only 3% of our customers are converting to paid plans. So out of the hundreds of thousands of customers we had then, only about 9,000 were paying us. So yikes, not a great situation. I also learned that we hadn't addressed our packaging since 2015. We hadn't made any significant changes. So for three years, we hadn't really addressed anything. So there was a big opportunity here. Now, I didn't really know what we should do about it. We didn't know if we had a pricing problem, a positioning problem or a packaging problem. And so it was my task to try and figure out how we could address this situation. So this is the game plan for how we addressed our pricing strategy and what I'm going to walk you through today. So the first piece, get business alignment. This is getting all the key people on your team organized and aligned to address this work. Second, assess the situation is trying to figure out what you can even learn about your current pricing strategy. Third, learning from your customers is talking to them to figure out how you can meet their needs in a way that aligns with your business goals. And then pricing changes need to actually be made. So you're gonna do that work. And then lastly, track how the, that work performed. So first step, getting business alignment. Pricing is a team endeavor. So what you need to do is get representation from your entire business. All the people that those decisions are gonna impact should be part of your pricing committee. So your business, is existing to make money. I know that you wanna do so many things. Ultimately, you wanna provide value to your customers that generates revenue or value for your business. So we need to get all the people who are part of that scenario together to communicate about what you want to achieve. Now, the uh, there was a point person in this regard and that was myself from the product org. And we also had an executive sponsor who was our VP of marketing. So we were, we are a large committee, but we had a point person and an executive sponsor. Uh, lastly, I want to say that even though I said it took a very long time to do this project, 
uh, it's not all happening at once. A lot of the time exists because of the communication and negotiations among the people on this committee. So out of all the things that you could do about your packaging, you need to kind of set yourself up for success. You need to create some guidelines for what it means to be successful with your packaging revamp. So every company is unique. You probably have unique pricing strategies. You have a unique overall product strategy or business and corporate goals. And you wanna think strategically about how your pricing is going to align with the other goals at your business. So they have to be contextual. So for NAV, we had three goals for our pricing revamp. The first is that our pay plans were here to exist to facilitate financing. So they are working as a partner with our other monetization strategy. Next, you have to be minimally profitable. So this isn't our biggest money-making scheme, but we wanted to cover that 97% of people who were on the free plan. Let's not lose money at this endeavor. And then lastly, we wanted people to have the product for only a short period of time, maybe between six and nine months. This isn't a product that you were gonna have year over year. So that wasn't an expectation that we had. There are three ways that you can really come up with an approach for how you're going to address this work. So this first one, competition-based, is if you are working in a saturated market, there's lots of people like your business, you can do com competition-based research. You can go out there and look at pricing pages, you can do competitive intelligence work, and you can figure out what are other people pricing their products at that are similar to the product that you are creating. Now, the pros of this is that that can be easy research if you can find a pricing page, quick and easy. Um, and you probably also have high confidence in your price point because you're seeing that other people are addressing that same market need and they're making money. The cons of this situation is that you're not representing your business's value. Ideally, if you're in the saturated market, you're bringing something new and more valuable than your competitors. So you could be selling yourself short. The next piece is called cost plus. In this case, you're trying to identify how much it costs you to build your product. Think about your cogs, think about your dev work, your infrastructure, your building, whatever it is. You're gonna add it all up and then you're gonna add on a margin so that you're making money. So the pros of this, if you know how much money it costs to build it, it's really easy to do this type of work. Um, however, in many cases, your costs increase and you would be eating into your margin as time goes by if you don't continue to address your pricing. So at NAV, prior to this revamp, we had used a combination of these two. And I think that's really common when you're starting out a business. So we had used competitive um, Intel and we had done cost plus. However, we wanted to take a new tack. So what we decided to do was value-based um, methodology. In this case, what you're trying to identify is the value exchange between your customers and your offerings. So you're going to ask your customers what they think about your pricing model rather than having it be um, research-based like the other two options. So the pros here are that you can have a high confidence because you're hearing from your customers how much they're willing to pay. And you can typically start at a higher price point the cons is that it can be time consuming. So let's say you're ready to go, you've got your guidelines and you wanna take the next step. You need to figure out what is going on with your current pricing strategy. 
So here are a series of different things that we looked into to try and assess what is actually happening. So we could know where there was room for improvement. A couple of things that I thought were really impactful that maybe you haven't thought about in this case came from talking to customer support. Talking to them about the save methods and the reason for upgrade was super valuable information. And on the opposite end, knowing when they were applying coupons or giving refunds and understanding why people were downgrading was extremely valuable. Not all of these are quantitative. At the very bottom, you can see that we did do some qualitative research, but the majority was all quantitative. So out of all of that work, there are a couple of things that I thought were of interest. On the left-hand side is something that we call signs of life. So when we did our research, we saw that of the four packages we had at that time, they all had different signs of life. Looking at the green bar, that represents the active customers. Those are people who have clicked on an email or they've logged into our system in the last 90 days. So you can see they all have different levels of active users. And on the flip side, you can see that the dormant customers are that burnt orange color those are the people who haven't interacted in over 180 days. So that essential plan isn't looking so hot. On the right hand of the screen, you can see our comparison of ins. In this case, I'm looking at month over month, as we grow our user base, what's happening to the people who sign up for free versus paid. So that purple line are all of our free customers. And you can see they're moving up and down as marketing is pulling levers on acquisition. However, at the bottom, you're seeing an extremely flat line of people who are signing up for our paid plans. So we did all of this research, quantitative, qualitative. We roll it all down. We boil it down into a few key insights. First of all, we had poor conversion. So you saw that in the beginning, that pie chart, we only had 3% of our customers who were upgrading. Next. Increasing acquisition wasn't correlating to increased conversion. So in that comparison of ins I just showed you, we couldn't pour gas on acquisition and expect we'd have a different conversion rate. Next, our revenue was stagnant. Um, we just weren't increasing how much money we we're making month over month by much. And lastly, not all of our plans were successful. So thinking back to that signs of life chart, they're not all as healthy as they could be. Okay. Next step, now that we have a basic analysis, we wanted to learn from our customers about how to address these issues. So because we're doing a value-based pricing methodology, we needed to talk to our customers. We needed to learn from them. And if you don't know who your customers are, you're gonna have a hard time talking to them. So basically you need to make sure that you have a buyer persona and you have access to that customer so you can do your the following research. So one note is that if you have multiple personas, you need to have, you could have multiple packages. I'm going to walk you through just one example of this persona, but in your case, if you have variations on your personas, you need to talk to each persona and pass them through this process individually. All right. What we did was come up with this series of features that we wanted to understand the value of for our customers. We had these 16 features and they are a mix of existing features that you can help validate that continued desire from your customers, as well as some aspirational features. 
where you're trying to validate whether you should uh, build out something brand new. So we had 16 features. We went through marketing. We made sure that they were crisp and people could understand what they were. And then what we did was called a relative preference test. In this case, people aren't awesome at stack ranking. So if I gave you a list of those 16 features and I asked you to rank them, I don't think you'd have a high amount of accuracy in what you really thought about them. So this methodology with relative preference testing, you give customers a set of features and then you force them to rank the most and the least preferred within that set. And then you continue to give them sets and then eventually you will get your relative preference analysis. For our test, we did four sets of four for each person who answered the survey. And what you end up with are the results of your relative preference testing. You get a stack ranking of the value that your customers see in those 16 features. So what we had here was a combination of features. We had features that are in the green teal color that represent features that we already had in our packages. So congratulations to us. We found things that people wanted and they still wanted them. That was a great sign. But we also found that our customers wanted things that we didn't yet have. So at the very top was a feature that customers wanted the most that we didn't have. However, at that time, it wasn't very feasible for us to build it. So it would require negotiations and contracts and we didn't quite have a path forward. So we decided to skip on that one for the time being. So going down the list to the next item that we didn't have in our current packaging was the build a business trade line or trade line reporting. So this is the feature that we decided to pursue and I wanna give you a little context on why. So trade line reporting is basically a way for NAV to provide data about the businesses to the bureaus. And it helps the business owners establish positive business credit history. So unlike personal credit, where everything is getting automatically reported to the bureaus, business credit isn't automatically reported, these trade lines. And so NAV is providing this feature wherein you pay us for the paid plans and we report your payments to the credit bureaus to establish positive credit history. Okay, that's important because that's gonna be used in financing and it's gonna open up our customers capability to get better terms and more financing opportunities. So why did we choose this feature? I mean, it sounds great, but ultimately it lines with our company strategy. This gave us a competitive edge. We didn't have our competitors doing this feature. It solved a real customer need. We knew customers were calling into our credit and lending specialists asking how to manually do this. Uh, it was a free, so it was a frequent topic from our support calls. It was difficult for people to do on their own and it really aligned with our brand. So that's why we went ahead with this one feature out of all of the ones that we tested with. So now we wanna know how much is that feature worth? And that's what's called price sensitivity analysis. So we had two packages that we wanted to show our customers. Package A on the left, represents a package that we already had on the market. So that's our baseline. Package B represents 
the same package with the additive feature of the trade line reporting. Now we take those packages to our customers and we our personas, our buyer personas, and we ask them four questions. These questions are essential to getting your price sensitivity analysis. So there's variations on these questions, but ultimately you're looking for these four points, too expensive, too cheap, expensive, and a bargain. So for example, at what price would you consider the product to be so expensive that you would not consider buying it? That is the too expensive question. So you take the results of these questions and you plot the cumulative frequencies. This is called a Van Westendorp price sensitivity meter. Quick rundown of this complicated diagram. What you're looking for is to plot the cumulative frequencies. So on the left-hand side, you're seeing where a bargain and too cheap are being plotted. On the right-hand side, you're seeing the inverse of expensive and too expensive being plot. I think plotted is a word. Anyway, you're looking to find what's called a price range or a price brand band. So on the left, where too cheap meets expensive is the lower end of your price band. And where too expensive meets a bargain is the upper end of your price band. And so customers are saying they're willing to pay within that range of prices for the package that you are presenting to them. One last thing is this optimal price point, And that is where too cheap meets too expensive. At that point, 50% of your customers think it's too much money and 50% of your customers think it's too little. Okay, we took package A, we talked to our customers, we asked them those four questions, we plotted our frequencies, and this is what the result was. Package A, our existing package, had a price range of 23 to $39, with the optimal price point being 26. Then we took package B. This is package A plus our new high value feature of trade line reporting. And in this case, we had a wider price band. The price range was from 24 to 45, but we still had the same optimal price point, which is a little strange. So this whole section, we figured out what were the valuable features and then how much people were willing to pay for them. And this is our learning summary. Users were willing to pay more for our existing package. So package A, we knew we could get more money for it. Its optimal price point was higher than what we were charging customers. Then we identified a high value feature that was not in our packages. That is our trade line reporting feature. And then lastly, our high value feature of trade line reporting has customer value. We saw that people were willing to pay more for package B than for package A. Okay, now we had to do something about it. We learned all of this stuff, what are we gonna do? Now this slide represents probably the majority of the work that went into this entire effort. This is where our committee met to discuss the results, negotiate, fiercely negotiate, and come up with a plan. So a lot of effort existed in this one piece. But what we did here was to say the standard plan, which was free, we were gonna reposition it to be called free very clear positioning in that case. And so we were still retaining our freemium model as an acquisition strategy. Next, the essential plan that we had 
around. It had really bad signs of life. We decided to sunset that plan. So we stopped selling it. Now we didn't kick people off of that plan. We allowed them to stay on and we tried to convert them and upgrade them to a higher price point. Next, the premium plan, which was that package A, we decided to increase its price point based on our price sensitivity research. So it went from $24.99 to $29.99, but the features, the package itself did not change. We introduced package B, which represented package A plus the new feature of trade line reporting. And it had a wider price band. And so we went for a higher price point. That new package got set at $39.99. And then lastly, our existing premium plus plan, we repositioned uh, it. It's got a new name, but we retained the price point. And because our plans are additive at NAV, the business boost and the business loan builder both received trade line reporting. So those last group, they got new features, but they were able to retain their price point. All right, so we had our plan. We had to actually build out this new feature that was the key part of our business boost plan. So that took a period of time. We were also doing other things. We were completely revamping our pricing page. It's important that you spend time here to think about how that's going to sell to your customers, right? You've got to get the packaging, the pricing, and the positioning all just right. On the right-hand side, you're seeing an example of a change in our positioning. We were looking to really speak to our different de demographics to get them to upgrade to each of the plans. They all had a unique purpose, and we were trying to speak to that customer. We also invested in our upgrade, downgrade, and cancel features. So prior to this release, you had to call NAV to cancel. So it's not the most pleasant user experience as I'm sure you can imagine. So what we did was allow you to not only cancel, but upgrade and downgrade in a way that we called seamlessly. So the easiest possible way that, that helped us kind of establish good feelings with our customers and positive brand connection, but it also helped us track what was happening when we did release our packaging. So then it was release day. Before we even got to release day, there was a ton of work put into that pre-release experience. We had to train customer support. There was a large amount of internal hype, getting people excited about what we were doing and the impacts we could have for our customers. Huge amount of work went into testing all of this work and we had all of our dashboards ready. We were ready with BI to know what is happening when we launch. So the day before launch, we had a go, no go meeting. Our committee was there, all sorts of representation from around the business. Everybody gives the thumbs up. The next morning we appear at 6 a.m. and we start releasing. It was very scary <laughs> because so much happened at the same time. Uh, we sent that day about 250,000 emails to customers and we were targeting those customers with the right positioning, that message. So one segment we were saying, guess what? We've increased the price on your plan. So be prepared for that. The next one was, hey, we have entirely new plan and we think you were the right demographic to be responsive and upgrade. And then another segment where we said, hey, this is so exciting. We've given you new value and feature for the price point that you were already paying. So we launch, 
We had a playbook minute by minute. We're out there as a team trying to figure out what's happening. Are we passing thresholds for cancellation? What's happening with customer support? How many upgrades are we getting? We track all of this as the day rolls by and we wait to see how it all plays out. So I'm going to tell you how it plays out. We make more money. I mean, ultimately, that's what's going on here. We launched in September, and you can see by the end of February that we had increased month over month by about three times our revenue. We went from 2.2% growth to 7% growth within that five-month period. We basically shifted the trajectory of the revenue that we were getting from our paid plans. And because this revenue is recurring, it's a monthly subscription, we're just getting compounding results from every customer that upgrades. So here's what it looked like when we look at the plans themselves, the three plans that we were revamping. You can see that some people did cancel or downgrade that were on the business manager plan. So that's the plan that we increased the price on. And we were very cognizant that we could have high cancellation rates because it's $5, but still uh, something that you need to be considerate about paying. Next for the business boost plan, we had nobody, it's a brand new one. And then we got completely new enrollments in that plan. And then lastly, the business loan builder did uh, retain customers and actually increase in the upgrades there. So before launch, we had about 9,000 paying customers. And then by February, we had 13,000 paying customers. All right. But then something completely unexpected happens, right? The pandemic. Now, when the pandemic hit, the government responded with the SBA CARES Act, and they created this payment protection program and NAV positioned themselves to support small businesses who were um, eligible for the payment protection program. So they ended up coming to NAV to not only find a lender to get money for the paycheck protection program, but also to get education and information about how to navigate this completely new scenario. So we had a huge influx in acquisition of customers that we didn't have to market to, so we weren't paying for. And many of them decided to upgrade. So we had that 7% back in March, no, sorry, February, maybe March. And now in October, we were looking at 9.7%. So overall growth of about 7.5%. Now I can't really take credit like as if I knew something like this was gonna happen, but I would say that the situation that we created by addressing our packaging to be more positioned, more aligned with our customer need, it spoke to people who came to us as a result of the pandemic. So we were able to benefit from this situation and provide value to our customers on a larger scale. Okay, so October of this year, you can see that our shifting in packages has continued to change. Business manager is growing a little bit more, but business boost is just skyrocketing with the number of enrollments and that trade line reporting feature and the business loan builder, our highest price point is also doing very well. So thinking back to the analysis, how did we do after that situation? So poor conversion, we had that 3% conversion rate in the beginning. We still do. I made no impact 
on the percentage of customers that were upgrading. And so that second bullet point saying that increasing acquisition doesn't increase conversion, it still holds true. So something is here that still needs to be addressed potentially. But we changed the dynamic of our revenue. We were increasing 7.5% month over month. And now the signs of life on all of our plans are healthy. So in summary, we talked about two different things. The first piece was just really understanding what it means to address your pricing strategy. What are the three Ps of your pricing? And then the second was the actual approach that we took at NAV to address it. So to begin with, we got that committee, we figured out what our goals were, what are the restrictions that we want to work in, and how we want to address our packaging. Next, we had an assessment of the situation, what's happening, what can we learn about what our current pricing strategy is doing. Next, we were there to learn from our customers, ask them what do they value and how much will they pay for that feature or feature set. Then we rolled out all of the changes. That's all of our go-to-market work, all of the dev work that went into it, our pricing pages. And then lastly, we tracked how well that performed over time. Quick shout out to the tools in case you wanted to figure out how I did some of this work. Uh, you can go back to this slide or you can reach out to me if you want some information. But let's say that after this talk, I've empowered you to do something about your packaging and you go ahead and do it. But then you ask yourself, now what? And I would say that you need to continue to consider your pricing strategy. So if you're interested in developing new features, think about doing that relative preference testing again. If you're thinking about providing new value for your customers, you want to reconsider your price sensitivity analysis. Or maybe you're learning something new about your personas or your market or your competition, and you might want to reconsider the positioning of your package. None of these things have to all happen simultaneously. You don't have to spend the year like I did. You can just go do individual pieces that will continue to add impact to your pricing strategy. And that is me. I have finished. Thank you. Awesome. Rebecca, thank you. That was fantastic. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll just take just a couple of minutes um, to have some questions. I have a question, but I'd be interested to hear what the reception of was of that idea of allowing them to easily upgrade or downgrade was if you what kind of pushback you got there from who and how you navigated those conversations. There wasn't a lot of friction on upgrade downgrade the friction was around cancellation, to be honest. So many engineers felt that we had a dark pattern that we were forcing people to call in and that that's just like not how you treat your customers. So that was a problem that was lingering for quite a while that we decided to address during this situation. For the upgrade downgrade, for us, the only real issue we had was the technical aspect of it about whether we stored any of the Stripe, because we use Stripe as our system of record for billing. Um, it was about whether we do present part of it or some of it to kind of let customers understand that we are continuing to use the card that they had provided us during that and like maintain security that they didn't feel like, you know, there was a risk uh, about us using their card, but then also to ease the, the flow to go upgrade or downgrade within the app. Uh, there wasn't any concern about why we should do it or how it would impact. Like 
we knew it would make it easier to downgrade. So we were already expecting with that price shift that we would have a decrease in the business manager plan. And we were all willing to do that because we felt like the real value we should be getting from that plan, we had high confidence in our research. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I'm, okay. I think I'm just in a little bit different of a scenario right now. I'm actually like probably three quarters of the way through the same process right now. Okay, feel free to reach out to me. Maybe there's something I can share with you. Um, we're talking tomorrow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, perfect. Now I'm ready. <laughs> I have a question. Um, so when you were looking at, so I've been looking at doing this for our company as well. And one of the things that um, I've kind of been looking at is this, the pricing band. Uh, I had a question on like, once you have that pricing band, how did you guys settle on the specific num like number that you guys came to? Because that's obviously like quite a few numbers. The optimal point was like 26. We guys went with yeah. something like 29, right? Like how, right. like how did that process go? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I think there's not a, like a solid answer. I would say it was just a negotiation. There was an art to it. Uh, we, we had maybe 300 people respond to the price sensitivity survey. So we, we considered opening up the survey to get even more responses. So the more responses you have, the more clearly defined your lines are, they become like less jagged and they're more linear. And so you can say, we have even higher confidence in that price range. So I would say if people are concerned about making a choice, you could consider uh, spending money or getting more survey responses. We also did some financial modeling where we said, okay, if it was at this point, this price point, how much money would we make? We definitely questioned that optimal price point, you know, that 26, it was the same between the two. And we kind of thought, well, we were just willing to take a little bit more of a risk. We were still very clearly within the band itself. So we were willing to take a risk to go for a higher price point, but there, there's not like an actual answer. We just talked it out. And we also had those kind of staggered price point. It was free and then 29, 39, 49. And so that 39 matched kind of how we wanted to present the packages themselves and show them as a gradation between the steps. So those are some gotcha. of the thought process. Cool. Can I, Ash, is it okay if I ask a follow-up question to that? Um, sure. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll be really, it's, it's a really quick, like, yes or no, I think. Like for those, the surveys, did you send those only to customers or did you also send those to non-customers, like, like prospects? We did both. So the okay. surveys that we sent to our customers were the worst performing ones overall. So, I mean, we have hundreds of thousands of customers and they don't want to talk to us in many, many cases. So that one was the hardest. It was like pulling teeth. And so what I did was I went to Mechanical Turk and to SurveyMonkey to profile business owners and, and pay to get people to answer these questions. So I think you don't want to just talk to your customers. You've already acquired them, right? You want to know from people who you do want to acquire as customers. You want to know what they think. So I would say do both if it's possible. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Rebecca, again, thank you so much. A big thanks to Rebecca Higgins for presenting. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon. And we'll see you virtually at one of our next events.